0: Dear brothers and sisters, grace and peace is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who could deny that every year when we get to New Year's Eve, we look back over the last year and we count blessings and our challenges and ponder things as we start changing the number over to 20, the next year, in this case 2021. But this year may be standing out for us in our lifetime for a long time because everyone it seems in our not just our country but in the world is saying this is especially a challenging year because of COVID-19 and March and everything that's happened since then I remember it was in it was in January that I was in the DFW airport moving in one of those uh, trains that goes around from terminal to terminal and there were three Asian women who had gotten on the train with their masks on And I thought to myself, what an odd phobia to have. (laughs) Look at us. We all have it now because we're serious about this illness that's taken over 300,000 lives. Um, I didn't didn't even know that in 1919 that in the Spanish flu that there was, when that epidemic hit, that everybody was wearing masks for up to three years. Had no idea. I've lived over 50-something years, right? That we'd be wearing masks mask. What a year. What a year in the way it's affected relationships over just something like wearing masks. I've, I've had conversations that were rather emotional at one end of that hallway about how this is just a conspiracy, a world conspiracy to reset the entire world economy and that there's nothing real about it. And in the same 30-minute period, right back there at the other end of the hallway. How it is so unloving for anyone to not put a mask on knowing that this takes lives. Both ends of the spectrum in the same church, same way in my family. Challenges to get along and not judge one another that we never had before. In 2020, we had it, right? And illness is threatening us and fear changes the way we do church. We used to think we'd had a pretty good crowd. We got somebody to come to church at on New Year's Eve. If we had 75 or 120 at our church, now if we get 30, those people, we're, we're, we don't want to get sick, do we? Um, it changes the way we do church. We're going to do it differently. All churches had better because now it's forced churches and businesses and doctors. I've been to a $400 visit with my cardiologist, the insurance helped pay it, just by talking to him over my little smartphone. <laughs> Who would have ever thunk, right? And we're better do church online somehow, always going forward, because now we have a whole new kind of attendance. We were talking about it in, in church, the church on earth. Some churches were doing it, we were doing some of it, but now you'd better be doing it or you're left behind. All of this came out of 2020, forced change for so many different things in your economy, your personal economy, your jobs that you lost. And, and if you got it back, maybe didn't get, don't get paid as much. The situations that you found yourselves in, different. I remember seeing a meme with a picture of Biden and Trump saying, if 2020 were an election year, and it was right after that first train wreck of a debate. I mean, what thinking Christian on either side of the aisle could be happy with the way things were said and transpired throughout our election? That's not a political statement, that's a pastoral statement. 2020, we hit an all-time low in the way that we trash talk in politics. Who could be completely satisfied with everything that we're doing? No one can Yeah, I know it sounds like doomsday, but let's just kind of open the package and get it all out there, right? I'm ready for 2020 to be over. And I know you probably are too. But we say that about life on earth, if we're wise. Anyway, when we think about the passing of time from year to year, we do ask ourselves though, God, what do you want from me? Like I said when I was reading Romans 8, 28, 29. God says, I've got some things to say. I've written some things in my book for people who are transitioning from one era to another. It says in Romans 15 that we are to read the stories in the Old Testament to get encouragement and hope. Romans 15, 4. So when we read Deuteronomy... Where old man, and you can go to that slide, old man Moses is talking to his people. Now he's 120 years old. Remember he started when he was 80? When he was 80, now Nelson, you just turned 90. Imagine 10 years ago, being asked by God at a burning bush, you're going to go on a little journey to deliver my people. And it went, not for four years, but for 40 when they finally those first couple of years get up to the promised land, what happens? They're, they don't they don't trust God, right? He's delivered them from Egypt with ten plagues. They crossed the Red Sea, that was amazing. They they met the Amalekites and defeated them as long as Moses' hands were held up with the staff. And then they get up to the promised land. They've already they're already getting manna, and they they're supposed to go into the promised land. And they don't trust God. And he says, okay, everybody that's an adult is going to die. But you're going you're to live as a group, millions of people in the wilderness where you can't really do your agriculture. And you're going to be beggars and I'm going to be the, the, the food wagon. I'm going to be giving you the stimulus check every day. You're going to see food on the ground. But you can't collect twice as much. It'll be gone. It'll turn into mold and worms. Some tried it and it did. And they were dependent upon God. And they had they complained and they got many of them died by snake bite. One time the ground opened up and swallowed a whole bunch of rebellious people. Remember? Quail that gave them worms. Oh, the saga's all there in Numbers, the book of Numbers. And Moses, he didn't sign up for this. <laughs> and he complains too. And he finally loses his temper so much he hits that rock when he's supposed to speak to it. And God says, well, after 40 years, you get to come to heaven. You're not, you're not going to see the promised land with the people. But you'd finish out strong, Moses. You talk to my people for me because I love them and I'm not finished with them. And the next generation didn't have all the, 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 the wisdom of adults when they went through all this. And they're, they're stiff-necked people and they're prone to wander. So give them the word of God. And the word of God he gives them is the book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, which it's all there in Exodus and Leviticus, but it all gets piled into three sermons and packed together in a, a, an oration. And we come to chapter 8 for our meditation. They're transitioning. All the people that were above 20 when they left Egypt have passed. They're ready to, to go into the promised land. They're going to have to go to battle. With Jer- Do you remember Joshua led them? And Moses is giving it up. He's going to go up the mountain and die and the Lord will bury him and he's going to be gone. But before he goes as a great leader, he gives them his word to help them get into 2021. Their next saga after the 40 years. And Jesus, when he did his 40 days to cover over the failings of Israel in their 40 years and your sins in mind, when Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, because Jesus was connecting his life to ours as the loving God. So I'm going to read these verses from from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and God's going to speak to us with two big thoughts. Ready? It's going to be on the screen for you. I want to get there and read it here. Moses says, when you have gotten into the land and you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful when you're there that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, you know he's because they, had, they were hungry often. They had manna, but they didn't get to eat like they would, they would. So when you eat and are satisfied, and when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart will become proud, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. Little boys maybe think, oh, wow, that'd be cool to see those in the women cringe, right? They had to live with the snakes and the scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known. And he did it to humble and to test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. If You look earlier in chapter 8, which I hope you do tonight when you go home, you'll see more of this, of the reason for the manna. You may say to yourself when you're in that land, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Something Lance Armstrong said about biking. And then he was busted for drug use. But he said, I did all this myself. God didn't help me. People do that. Even Christians think that way. But remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant. Which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. Man, this is packed with good insights. But I want to focus on the, the two summary statements and they're both in chat, uh, verse 11. God wants you to thankfully remember him that he's the God that rescued you. You can sense that Moses, right? He's the guy that was at the burning bush that God sent in to get him, right? And the 10 plagues and the death of the firstborn of Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea. And these guys were little, men, little boys and girls when that all happened. And he says, remember when you're sitting there in your fine homes... How God rescued you. He did it. There was no way we'd have done this by ourselves. This opportunity. This privilege. This giving of the promised land. Is all by grace. And don't forget that. Why would the preacher be so adamant to talk that way? Because everyone has a sinful nature. And the devil, the world, and our sinful nature lead us away from thankfulness into, back into what happened at the tree, trusting in ourselves and thinking we, we had the largest part to do with this when we didn't. It was a reset. 2020 was a reset year for us. The 40-year wandering was a reset for Israel. You saw that in verse 16 where he said he gave you manna each day and made you dependent upon him to reset you to humble you. All troubles that come our way are a reset. And what are they what is God trying to reset? He's trying to make us spiritually healthy again. Have you um have you ever been involved with this, either for yourself or another person that has, is on several medications and it's not going well? And so finally, it's getting worse and worse, the more they try this and try that and drugs are interacting. The doctors, some doctor will say that's treating this patient, usually their primary is, Let's just get off all the meds. Just reset. We'll do this one, about this one, but we're getting off all those meds. And often the person is better off, at least for a while, because they reset, right? Man, didn't God reset everything in 2020? Yeah. The whole thought of how dependent we are on Him. Collectively, the world is looking. If they don't have faith in Jesus, they're looking just like, whoever you are, wherever you are, help us. He got our attention. But what does he want? He wants health. Spiritual health. And in in the believer's life, that's through repentance. That's through looking at your own attitude. Repentance isn't just a repentance about an actions you've committed. You've made some really dumb decisions that were sinful. We all have. But it's an attitude of ingratitude of thinking that I can do whatever I want. And God's just got to deal with it. And, I've got to, I, and I'm so important that i made most of this happen anyway. All of that, he, he said, I want you to come on to your knees and repent to me. And I want you to beg. Can I have manna today? By grace? And he says, I love you. Here it is. I'll take care of you. We don't even know. They, they had a 40-year wandering Maybe it's not just 2020, maybe it's the 20s. But he wants an attitude of gratitude and an attitude of praise for every blessing that we get. I don't know if it's in Pilgrim's Progress because I haven't read the book, but I I think it is. But the the story uh, is is told of a Christian who was in prison in England. For his faith. And when they brought the gruel. And the, the little one piece of bread. Each day. And stuffed it through the window and the door. The Christian would say. All this and Jesus too. It's so memorable right. That's the attitude that God wants us to. Leave 2020 with. All this. Whatever blessings we have in Christ. And Jesus too. Eternal life. And not forget him. Well, what's the sign of somebody who hasn't forgotten him? Well, for for Moses, it was pretty clear. Did you catch it? you think you could say it? What was the sign that they would not forget God? Verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Notice the gerund. We'd say in some languages a participle. Forgetting God is failing to What? read it what does it say failing to observe his commands is to forget God and his laws and his decrees for a Jew every law was moral the kosher diet moral law the uh, the ceremonies they had to keep moral law for a Jew every law was moral for us what great load he's lifted off all those pointed ahead to Christ The moral law of God is the Ten Commandments, or it's defined by the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But if you want to define it a little further, the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, is to be insanely possessive about God and his reputation and to love him that way. So have no other gods before him. Not your money, not your car, not your house, not your church, not A person, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a child, a grandchild. Nothing. Have no other gods before him. And do not take his name in vain. Don't say, oh my God. Don't laugh at somebody saying that. Don't teach false things in his name. And remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Make devotional life and rest in Christ a priority in every day. That's the third commandment. The fourth commandment, to honor your parents and anybody else in authority as a gift from God moving into the second table of the law. And so that's loving your neighbor as yourself. And the first neighbor is the mama that bore you and the daddy that's that's fathered you. And if they have a, a desire to be a blessing in your life by giving you a curfew, you honor that and respect their wishes and you listen to them all the way to the end. Even though you might be an adult, you at least still show the respect of the parents who bore you into this life. And then... Moving on from there is the fifth commandment, that you don't hurt your body or somebody else's or the unborn, and you, you defend life. And the sixth commandment, for moral purity in a very impure society, you don't live together outside of marriage. You wait until you get married. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the carriage. You, you stay away from the immorality that's re, this replete on your television, the movies, on your phone. You do everything you can because you want to keep yourself pure. You know you can't do it perfectly, but you want to because your, your body's a vessel and you haven't forgotten God that he gave it to you and you're meant for him and another person, not the world, and they aren't meant for you. That's somebody else's daughter or somebody else's wife or somebody else's intended. Are we making sense yet? Do not steal. Do not, do not steal from your employer from not giving a full day's work for a full day's wage and, or, uh, and also all the way from your heart. Do not steal from your neighbor by fudging on things. Don't cheat on your taxes. We could go on and on. The eighth commandment, speak the truth in love. Don't tell lies. Don't exaggerate. Don't gossip. Don't, don't try to do harm to your neighbor's reputation. And nine and 10, do not covet. In other words, be content with what you have not thinking that contentment it's wanting what you ha- it's have already not having everything that you want and stop thinking that everybody else has got it better than you do I make God clear <laughs> yeah and it crushes me to preach that way because it crushes me to hear it myself cuz I just condemn myself in every one of those commandments because when I was in the wilderness i complain like israel and i know that i'm going to be prone when the good times come to be more forgetful more prideful and i need jesus to keep the 40 days in the wilderness like he did perfectly and to quote and what did he quote when the devil said make these stones into bread because you're the big cheese you do your you're the son of god just be the son of god and make these stones bread And he said, "Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God." And it comes right before this text in in Deuteronomy eight. Jesus never sinned. So, how would you in twenty twenty one remember a Savior who kept it clean to cover over your life of sin? Do your best. You know you're not going to be perfect at it, but do, be honest and do your best. Do it humbly. Do your best. Be generous. Be forgiving. Be content. Be pure. Be worshipful. Be peaceful. Be devotional. Do your best in 2021. And you know what? His reset is therefore working. Because he, he let you hit dead ends to make you go back to the throne of grace and be closer to him. And his reset worked. And that makes 2021 a great year, no matter what happens. And I know there's, I know people, sometimes it's me, that look at 2020 and go, man, I sure hoped. I'm fearful that 2021 is going to be that way or worse. You don't need to fear circumstances. You've got God with you. Remember how they doubted he was going to go in there with them, their parents did, and so they didn't get to go? Well, now the kids are supposed to say, God is with us. He's going with us. And when they face problems, he'll be there. He'll he'll always be with you. He promises that. It's not your circumstances that he needs to reset, it's in here. That's what he's resetting. And he's always resetting that. Right to the end of our lives, he's resetting that. Look at verse 16. It's on the screen. It's that last chat. It's that last one with the big print. This is verse 16. God did the reset for them. God did this. that the, the parenthetical remark. The reset is mine. But the rest is verse 16. God did the reset year to humble you. And to test you. That it may go well with you. When? In the end. We could... Walk away from God. So he's promised he's gonna stay with these children the way he stayed with the parents. And you know that that condemnation on their earthly life that they've got to die in the wilderness? That wasn't hell. That was to keep them out of hell. <laughs> You're gonna live this way in the wilderness and die while your children get to go to the promised land, so your soul will go to heaven because now you are reset. Remember King Saul, he didn't let himself be reset. But many of those Israelites did. So God is. Let him, let him reset you. You're my God and Savior. Thank you for being my, my Savior. Now I go into 2021. With a heart that's connected to you. And I'm going to walk with you. Amen.